0: You're listening to Booth One.
1: Welcome to Booth One, my friends. Gary Zabinski, your host here, bringing you the finest in the art of lively conversation about the arts and popular culture, long-time listeners of our program will recall that when we began this ambitious project more than three years ago, I guess it's more than three years ago, yeah, my original co-host was a man of singular wit with a talent for a unique turn of phrase and good story to tell when we had to say goodbye to him due to the unexpected twists and turns that life sometimes gives us. It was unknown at the time how his circumstances would play out. Well, I'm pleased to report that things look to be somewhat on the upswing for him, so much so that it gives me great pleasure to welcome back to the program for a guest slot this week, my great good friend, Roscoe. He's back. I'm back.
0: I am thrilled to be here. I had so much fun getting back here. I had a series of handsome men carry me out of the ambulance and up your <laughs> stairs to the studio. So I'm, I'm fit when as you, a
1: <laughs> when you came in in that sedan chair, I just about <laughs> peed my pants.
0: <laughs> and I said, "Boys, I'm fit as a fiddle and ready for love." <laughs> Time to jump over the moon up above.
1: Well, um, you seem to be in fine form. You look fantastic. Have you been out in the sun?
0: I have been out in the sun.
1: Are you sitting by a pool or something?
0: I'm sitting by a pool at the Home for the Bewildered, where I now reside.
1: (laughs) It's done you a world of good.
0: Yeah, it has. And I I, thank you. And the show's never about me. I don't like to be very self-revealing, as you know, nor do I like to talk about myself a lot. So if it's appropriate, at some later point, I might talk about where I've been the last 27 episodes.
1: Well, I'd leave that up to you. I I, I don't want to probe well, we, we could
0: maybe weave it into the narrative. Okay, I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you. <laughs> okay. Here is my warning to you. When you're going to sign your body over to science and say, no, mother, don't cremate me. I'm going to donate my body to science. You, you have to look at the fine print very carefully. And I made some wrong moves.
1: Well, you're the picture of health. I'm surprised they didn't actually pay you for your body.
0: I know. The problem was I didn't check the boxes right, and they tried to remove several of my limbs and organs before I was deceased. (laughs) And that was a very painful experience, a series of knives and scalpels and axes coming at me from all directions. But I've been put together. Ouch, yeah. I'm here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, we used to talk about where are the movie stars? Where are the movie stars? Where
0: are the movie stars?
1: I have to tell you that I was... Watching television the other day and a movie came on that I hadn't seen in a long time So I just sort of stuck with it and I'm almost embarrassed to tell you about it. It's Notting Hill with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant (gasps)
0: Is that where he's the bookstore? He owns she, the travel bookstore. Book
1: she's an international famous movie star. Yes. Well, I became so engrossed in that movie. And every time they were on, on screen at the same time, I screamed out, Movie stars! <laughs> they are real movie stars.
0: <laughs> they are movie stars.
1: I cannot stop thinking about that film. Wow.
0: You, you know, I actually ran across it recently too and saw it for the first time. And I think. I- I went back and watched it a second time.
1: Isn't it just unbelievably good? Perfect,
0: romantic. It never stretches the imagination. You think, of course, if Julia Roberts was a huge movie star and she walked into this bookstore and saw Hugh Grant, she would go, he's the man for me. I've I've said that every time I've gone to a Hugh Grant movie myself
1: Just about every time you've walked into a bookstore as well Every time I've walked into a bookstore
0: I walked into Underbridge Bookstore in Newtown the other day And I screamed, Hugh Grant's
1: the man for me
0: (laughs) And they said, get out Get out, we've told you repeatedly, Mr. Roscoe Get out And take
1: your walker with you Take
0: your walker with you and your attitude
1: (laughs) Hey, did you hear about a shark attack off of the coast of Massachusetts? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why does anybody swim in the ocean?
0: Or, or in any body of water.
1: I just don't get it. They're and, just swimming around in shallow water, waiting to feed. Waiting yeah, to feed. Yeah, yeah. I don't have too many details. I understand the guy survived, but he's well, got giant puncture wounds.
0: I think that's kind of uncommon that far north.
1: Getting, it's getting more common.
0: It's getting more common. It's like the coyotes in Chicago.
1: <laughs> they, I saw a coyote the other day on did? the on the metro railway tracks just across the street from our house, running down the tracks at full speed as a train was coming from the other direction. Oh,
0: was there land on either side that the coyote could go to? Or not was not very much,
1: but oh he was on God. the bridge. But I guess he was running to some place where he could get off. I, I sure hope so. Were
0: you frightened for the coyote or... Was it like watching an episode of Animal Kingdom? It was so 11? fast,
1: I couldn't, even get, I couldn't even get my phone off, and I said, "Wily e. Coyote! <laughs> you were telling me before the episode started, you were telling me a story about some bovines?
0: <laughs> yes! This was my favorite story in the news last week. I don't remember what state this happened in. Let's just say Indiana, which, which I also call the only... St- the only Confederate state north of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> this was a little news item, and with all the, the craziness happening in the news today, I, I think it got a little overlooked. But apparently, in Indiana, let's say Southern Indiana, let's let's j- just so we can. Picture, Terre Haute. Terre Haute. Terre Haute. Three women in a car were being chased by a squad car that was trying to pull them over for suspicion of having narcotics. Didn't really explain what preceded the chase. So (laughs) the car got run off the road, and one of the women jumped out of the car and in her panic thought, well, I can outrun the police. So she jumped over a fence into a field and started running, but she didn't realize that the field was full of cows, who she frightened. (laughs) And as she proceeded to run... The cows gave chase. (laughs) And and they said, cows are not usually aggressive, but if you scare them, if you jump into a cow herd and start running, you will startle them. I
1: would imagine so.
0: (laughs) So apparently she escaped uninjured, but unfortunately had an ounce of cocaine in her blue jeans. So we won't see her anytime soon. Maybe that's what the
1: cows were after. <laughs> Maybe. That is an utterly moving story, Roscoe.
0: <laughs> Those cows would be talking faster than I am if they'd been eating some <laughs> cocaine.
1: And speaking of movie stars, I read just this week that another great, great star of the screen, Robert Redford, is retiring.
0: Oh my God, I thought you were going to say he was dead. No, 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 no. He's
1: doing a last movie that's going to be released. Well, he's done it, I guess. It's going to be released in September called Old Man and the Gun. And he (sighs) said, you know, that's going to be my last film. I'm tired, I'm old, I'm, I'm not going to act anymore. I'm just going to concentrate on my painting and direct.
0: The Old Man and the Gun?
1: Apparently so.
0: That sounds like something that will run at AMC in the fine arts theater for a week.
1: I think it's a comedy. I have to really? look this up. I think it's like a light comedy type. Well, it, it'd be
0: nice if Robert Redford went out on a high note. Like, do one last good role. Great role. It's never won an Oscar. Yeah. Hasn't been nominated in years.
1: Like King Lear.
0: Like King Lear. <laughs> King Redford. God,
1: Robert, And he still has the great head of hair. Yeah. I just always loved Redford as an actor. Did you see
0: his last movie, which I think was called The Old Man in the Sea? Do you (laughs) you remember what I'm talking about?
1: The one where he's on a sailboat and he he gets hit by a cargo container and the sailboat is going to sink.
0: Yes. It's called
1: All is Lost. Oh, very good. I did see it. It was fantastic. You're kidding. No, it's a great movie.
0: Isn't it him it's on a boat by himself and no dialogue? All by himself,
1: no dialogue. He does utter a few words here and there, as, as one would want to do if you're just on a sinking sailboat <laughs> all by yourself. You kind of start talking to yourself. It, it's fantastic. You should definitely watch oh. it.
0: Well, do you remember that movie came out? Yes. And it would got great reviews. And everyone said, Robert Redford's finally going to win an Oscar. No one went to the movie. It closed in a week. And, and that jettisoned I went. its... You went, saw it in the theater. Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: the actual theater. <laughs> <laughs> you have been away. I have been away. <laughs> Did you hear our episode with Cecilia Wingate, co-star of one of our favorite plays by Halia, Mississippi? We recorded it a couple of... Weeks ago. I
0: was having my leg reattached and I wasn't able to listen to. I see.
1: She's from Memphis.
0: Yeah. Why was she she in town? Is she doing another show? Is she doing the local production of The Humans or something?
1: She was on vacation visiting some friends. She loves to come up to Chicago and often threatens to move here.
0: Well, she should.
1: I think she could have quite the spectacular career. She
0: would get cast constantly. She'd be on stage 48 weeks out of the year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) On stage is our friend Chris McHugh, who's doing a one-woman show called This is Cheery, Parents Must Be Dead, about her parents dying within three years of each other. (sighs) Do you remember Chris McHugh from college? Absolutely. Yeah, she's going to be at the Greenhouse on August 30th. We mentioned this on the last episode, but I wanted to give a shout-out once again. At 8 p.m., tickets are still available at brownpapertickets.com, and...
0: It's called Parents Must Be Dead?
1: Parents Must Be Dead.
0: Okay, well, if you can't go, I'll take my mother. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll turn to her and say, did you get it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nudge, nudge. Pick up any cues from this. (laughs) Get it, get it. Get it, get it. (laughs) Uh. What are you reading these days? You've got some free time on your hands. It's always interesting to know what people are reading.
0: Well, funny you should ask. Do you remember a couple of years ago when we went to New York City to meet Cheetah Rivera? And Very the, well. And the other part of that trip was we were going to see Barbara Cook's show, when she talked about her one woman. When she, t- she had an autobiography coming out. Her memoir was coming out, and she was going to do seven performances a week at a... Off Broadway house, and that, that we had tickets. We had tickets. We had tickets, and it was canceled. So I finally read her memoir, and I would have liked more dirt. Maybe she she didn't want to throw people under the bus or say unkind things, but what I found most interesting is she was in one hit, actually not one hit after another. She's in one show after another, and for every Music Man or She Loves Me, there was a dub that closed out of town. She was no longer an ingenue and jobs ran out. She lost her home. She moved to a smaller apartment. Then she ended up living in an apartment that someone just lent to her and she had no money. And she was famous. You know, everyone in New York knew who Barbara Cook was. And she would go into grocery stores and shoplift lunch meat because she didn't have any money. Isn't that unbelievable?
1: Astounding. I would steal lobsters.
0: <laughs> Lunch meat? <laughs> yes.
1: That's small potatoes.
0: Well, it was the, I don't know. I don't, well, it was small potatoes, but, you know, instant protein, easy to open if you don't have a it,
1: it, it, Give me a time frame. About what year was this? It would
0: have been the late 60s or the early mm, 70s. Mm. And then she made her comebacks for people who follow cabaret and that kind of singing, great singers, great interpreters of the Great American Songbook. She was about it. She was as good as you got. And she kept her voice largely intact well into her 80s. And at the end of the book, she writes and she said, I've lost some notes and I've lost some heft to my voice. But she said, I just keep digging deeper. So I think my performances are better with each passing year. I think the last time I saw her she was in her 80s and it was the famous set that was her tribute to Sondheim and it was songs he mm. wished she had written and songs mm. he had written and she was breathtaking. She had she had notes that she had no business being able to produce at
1: her age. We lost Aretha Franklin this week. Mm. Sad news. The press coverage has been monumental. Aretha Franklin was the queen of soul, of course, and you told me something before the broadcast that she was ranked the number one female singer by Billboard Magazine.
0: No, the number one singer of the rock era, male or female. Wow. She was number one in Rolling Stone Magazine. Rolling Stone, it's a famous poll that Rolling Stone did. Wow. And you had to go to that, down several notches to find Elvis Presley. <laughs> and I think number two was Bob Dylan. As I said while we were prepping for the show, she was famous when I was a child. And I, I grew up on Aretha Franklin. I was thinking, as I was writing up here, we were listening t- to another NPR show about Aretha Franklin, and the entire thing was focused on a gospel album that she had produced. But he said that was the high point of her career. She did this gospel album, and, and nothing was ever as thrilling as that album that she did later. You know, and that's extremely subjective. But here's what I thought of. There is a famous story. Josephine Baker, you know who Josephine Baker was? Sure. American, African-American woman, goes to Paris, becomes a huge star in Europe, works for the resistance during World War II. And when she died, she was so beloved that the country shut down and they had a state funeral for her. And her casket was carried through the streets of Paris and hundreds of thousands of people lined up to pay their respects to her. Why don't we do that in the United States? What what civilian would be more worthy of that honor than Aretha Franklin, who not only changed music but was a huge civil rights figure?
1: I think you're onto something there, Roscoe. Why isn't
0: she laying in state in the Capitol? <laughs> well
1: <laughs> There's a man who runs Washington who's probably a big reason why.
0: All right, well that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> 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 moving moving right along. <laughs>
1: What else are you reading these days besides you read the Barbara Cook memoir?
0: Oh, I bought the book about Rodgers and Hammerstein called Something Wonderful, which indeed is supposed to be wonderful.
1: I hear, yes.
0: Did you know that Mary Martin was a lesbian?
1: <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think I... I no. <laughs> it, it, it
0: Apparently it factors Why, into this Why that's hilarious,
1: <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: I think it was the non-sequitur nature.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure I knew that. I know a lot of stories about Mary Martin, but I don't know that one. Well, I've
0: read this. from Mary Martin was evil, which is also exposed in the book. (laughs) Janet Gaynor, who won the first Oscar for Best Actress. Yes. They were closer together than nine is to ten. Even though they were both married to men
1: interesting
0: yeah and you know they both they were in a terrible car accident they were hit by a drunk driver in their limousine and they were elderly when it happened so it didn't actually kill them but it got them home to the Lord faster than would have happened had, had that not occurred.
1: Created some infirmities, I to. Yeah, and
0: I'm not sure how that comes up in the book, but a friend of mine who loves musicals and is very well-read just said, oh, my God, you've got to read this book. It's tremendous. Did you know that Mary Martin was a lesbian? <laughs> oh, okay. But I guess somehow it figures into the narrative. The other thing I read about her, it's in the Barbara Cook book. Mary Martin loved Barbara Cook and mentored her early in her career, and Barbara Cook's mother came to town to see her in a Broadway show and is in her dressing room, and here comes Mary Martin, and Barbara Cook thinks, oh, my God, my mother will know I made it because I get to introduce her to my dear friend Mary Martin, who is with her husband, Richard someone. They come into the dressing room, and Barbara Cook blanks on his name, and she goes to introduce them, and she goes, Mom, this is Mary Martin, of course, and this is her husband, um, she goes, oh, please help me out. I'm just, I, I'm so embarrassed. I, I just went blank. And he said, told the mother her name and they chatted for a while and left. And then Barbara Cook writes, Mary Martin never spoke to me again. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the next time you see her... A mean lesbian. A mean lesbian. So the next time she's singing, I'm flying, flying. Just hope that someone cuts those wires. Gotta wash that
1: man right out of my hair.
0: And get on with my
1: girlfriend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've missed doing this.
1: I wanted to mention that our friend David Cromer, who we're likely going to have on the program because he's coming to town to direct something, and he won the Tony Award for uh-huh. the band's visit. He is going to be appearing in a Kenneth Lonergan play called *The Waverly Gallery* on Broadway, which is to be in previews about a month from now, a little bit more. But why I mention it is because the other cast members, some of the other cast members are Joan Allen, Michael Sarah, and Elaine May.
0: Go on with you.
1: <laughs> I don't. I I know.
0: Well, apparently she's still working.
1: And she's got above the title billing with Joan Allen and Michael Sarah.
0: Have you not heard of this? I can barely breathe. (laughs) I haven't seen Joan Allen on stage in years.
1: Yeah, I haven't either.
0: Oh, my gosh. And I have a quick anecdote for you. The Waverly Gallery was the last show that Eileen Heckert did. The beloved Eileen Heckert won an Oscar for Butterflies Are Free. Every time you watch an old movie, she's there with a the coffee pot, playing a waitress in the coffee house they go to. She's always like Joan Crawford's best friend. She's never a leading lady, but just great. Oh, The Bad Seed. She's the mother in The Bad Seed. Eileen Heckert, wonderful. Her last show is the Waverly Gallery. She passed away. She was cremated. Do you know what her son did with her ashes? He disposed of them in front of the Music Box Theater in New York because she'd had several hit plays there and thought that she would be happy being home at the Music Box Theater. So
1: illegal. I don't think you can dump ashes like that. You can't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They They have enough going on in New York.
1: I wanted to mention that as a possible... Event for you to attend if you're going to New York or thinking of going to New York anytime soon. Have you any plans to get there? Uh, no. Have you any plans? Have you any plans? No. <laughs> Do you want to go to Memphis with us? We're going to go to Memphis and visit Cecilia Wingate and sit on her porch and drink. Did she invite you? Yeah, anytime. I think we should go. She said the porch is open 365. Anytime you want to come, we're there. She's got actors and... musicians and dancers and all kinds of people.
0: (laughs) Do you think she knows anyone famous in country music?
1: I don't know if she knows any country stars. I suspect so. She's a longtime Memphisite. Yeah. She was in a band for 21 years called the Buffants, where they sang girl group hits and then kind of changed their style a little bit and became more rock and roll as well. Does it They'd sound like I'm making
0: it up if I say that sounds familiar to me? It, it does. Were they like almost famous?
1: They were almost famous. <laughs>
0: were they uh, like, you would go to see Loretta Lynn in the opening act, would be the Buffons. <laughs>
1: Maybe so. They still exist, but she doesn't sing with them any longer. You're such a big fan of. Cabaret and jazz singers. You worked in the jazz industry Mm -hmm. for a number of years. Have you seen anybody recently that you've been dying to see?
0: Yes. I I can't believe you're bringing this up. As you know, because of my afflictions and maladies, I don't often leave my um, estate. And of all things, this, this is why you live in Chicago. I'll give you the reason that I live in Chicago. I happened to see a listing that last night in the park across the street from where I live was going to be a jazz concert from six to eight sponsored by a local neighborhood organization. And the singer was D. Alexander who I'd seen before years ago at Millennium Park. And Dee Alexander is a great vocalist. She's a world-class singer. So it was such a rare experience for me, who who, I've largely been at home for a recent stint, to be able to journey across the street, sit in the grass and listen to 90 minutes of great music, sitting on a lawn, a beautiful green lawn, surrounded by trees and the view of the city of Chicago, and I thought, you know what? This is an instance where the melting pot has melted. There were all ages, tongues, and races there, as my father used to say in church. It was a really diverse group of people, and we were all sitting there happily together, listening to this great singer. Oh, and the greatest moment in the show, towards the end of the set, something happened where D won over the audience, and people were picnicking and talking And then she launched into a version of Summertime, and everyone just stopped talking and faced the stage. Then at the end of that, she said, we have got to pay our respects to the Queen. And then she launched into Natural Woman. And by the end of Natural Woman, everyone was on their feet, singing along, clapping. Even the men were singing that they felt like a natural woman. (laughs) Which was something I understood, but
1: um, was yeah. Mary Martin standing?
0: <coughs> Mary Martin was standing there saying, "Calm down, you big mo," and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was a wonderful moment. And the audience cheered and applauded and went crazy. And she finished her set, and she had to do an encore, and I don't think she had one planned. She left the stage after Natural Woman. She, she left the center of where she was singing. When she finally came out, she said, thank you. I just, I just had to pull myself back. To I had to calm down after that. I, I think it was a, a combination of she gave so much of herself that it was an exhausting performance. And I think she was moved thinking of Aretha, and she was moved looking out at all these people who were also rejoicing in the memory of Aretha Franklin. So it was a great Chicago moment. Years from now when someone says, gee, Aretha Franklin, I'll always remember being at that concert with with hundreds of people. What was also great is this Mm. this is is just some little thing that happened and hundreds of people showed up.
1: Fantastic. I wish I'd been there. If you like what you hear and you'd like to support Booth One and bring you the best in lively conversation and guests like my friend Roscoe, you can go to our website at www.booth-1.com and click on the donate button. It's quick, it's easy, and it's fully tax deductible under our 501c3 status as a nonprofit entity. Any contribution would be greatly appreciated. And, if you listened to our Rick Kogan episode, uh, still in effect is the fact that a $100 donation or more will get you a signed, everybody pays book by Rick Kogan. It's his true crime story great co-written with Maurice Posley. Fantastic read. We already have some considerable donations because of this. Wow. So, yeah, get yourself a free book signed by Rick Kogan. $100 or more to donate to Booth One. I wanted to mention that my regular co-host these days, Frank Tarangio and I, are going to be on Rick Kogan's radio show on WGN called Rick Kogan After Hours. It's on Sunday, August 26th. We're going to be on from the 10 to 11 o'clock slot, I think, somewhere around there. The show runs from 9 to 11 every Sunday night. We're going to be on the second half of it. So that's going to be very exciting.
0: And WGN is 720 on your AM dial?
1: 720, correct.
0: Yeah. And you know the... Oh boy, You what? can
1: get WGN as well for miles. Yes. Miles and miles yes. and miles.
0: I'm forgetting the terminology. When radio started... They gave out a number of licenses to 50,000-watt stations. The 50,000-watt stations, the most powerful AM signal you can have, went in every possible direction, and it was a security issue. So the United States thought, you know, if there's the flu epidemic again or we get bombed, we want to make sure that everyone in America can get a radio station. And after dark, the way the radio signal travels, uh, it travels much further. There is no other station in America that broadcasts seven twenty on the dial, so if the atmospheric conditions are right, every state east of the Rocky Mountains will hear you. Can you can you will yes, it's a huge coverage area. Wow. Yeah. WGN. In the. I'm
1: getting more and more nervous. Yeah.
0: In in the middle of the night, they understood that a large section of their audience were truckers, and they did programming geared for truckers, and they could sell it knowing that it was reaching. Drivers in 32 States or something.
1: Fascinating. Huh.
0: Why did you ask me what I'm reading? Are you reading something? You're well-read.
1: I'm reading several things. I just finished A Star is Born, the book that you sent me. Wonderful book about the making of the Judy Garland, James Mason, George Cucor version of A Star is Born from the 50s and the subsequent restoration in the early 80s where they found cut pieces of the film and try to put it all back yeah. together. And they use a lot of still photographs because they couldn't find the actual negatives any longer. So they use some of the stock photographs that were taken on set mm-hmm. while the actual vocal track is playing behind it. I found it absolutely fascinating, but a, a, a little disconcerting at it, times. It is
0: disconcerting. What I found funny is I don't own that movie on Blu-ray. So I was looking it up on Amazon Com and I was looking at the reader, the, the you know people will write in and tell you what they think of the sure. product. Everyone gives it five stars except for people who write in and go, well, I don't understand what I was watching because there were all these still photographs and they kept talking about things like, do you want to go to the drive-in and get a hamburger? And why did I need to know that? And if this was a restoration, they were pretty lazy and didn't do a very good job. So, of course, I was up all night writing back to these people saying, you were a profound idiot. Do not give something one star and then opine oh about something about which you have no knowledge. That having been said, please send me your address so that I can buy you a copy of this book so that you can be better informed.
1: It's a fascinating book. It's a great, great read about the inner workings of Hollywood at a very particular time in the 50s when movies were changing and people's... Attitudes towards going to film was different than it was just even five years earlier. Mm-hmm. Television, of course, had a big impact on that. People now owned televisions, and you could watch stuff at home and not have to go to the movies. But it's a great read. I loved it, and I appreciate you sending it to me. I'm reading The Zookeeper's Wife. It's a true story about a Polish husband and wife who ran the zoo in Warsaw, and how during the war they were allowed to live on the grounds, and that they hid and rescued many of the Polish Jews who had escaped from the ghetto, the Warsaw Ghetto, and it's beautifully written. They made a movie recently with Jessica Chastain.
0: Yes, and one of the reviewers said this movie is Schindler's List with circus animals. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that
0: poor Jessica Chastain, can she ever get a break? If there are 10 possible people to be nominated for the Oscar. She always comes in at number six. Yeah. And, uh, but she was in the movie last year about the poker, the woman who ran the poker games. No. Yeah, yeah. What was that called? Molly's, Molly's Game. Game.
1: I think it was written by Aaron Sorkin.
0: The character she plays narrates the film. It's like an evening with Roscoe. She doesn't shut up for two hours. <laughs> and I thought, if she does not stop talking, my, my ears are going to start bleeding. It's an interesting movie, and she's good. you know. And in another year, she would have been nominated.
1: What else do you have there?
0: I can talk about Josephine Baker. This is all I have to say about Josephine Baker. She brought the Charleston to Britain. She did? I was reading about Aretha Franklin, which led me to reading about Josephine Baker. Oh, it was the state funeral they had for Josephine Baker. And her original claim to fame was, she was in a review where she danced naked, and the only thing she wore was a skirt made of artificial bananas. (laughs) 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 And at the time, the Charleston was new, and she is the woman who introduced it to Britain.
1: That's crazy. That's that's
0: like a moniker I'd always love. Hey, Roscoe, what did you do? I brought the Charleston to Great Britain. What did you do?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What did you do in the war, Daddy? Yeah. Well, our Kiss of Death segment is somebody that I've actually been archiving and saving for a couple of months. But I think it's time to pay some tribute to her. And this is someone you'll know very well, Roscoe. Patricia Morrison, Broadway's first Kate to be kissed. Do you know what her nickname was in Hollywood? The Fire and Ice Girl. Wow. Yeah, isn't that a good name? Yeah. Yeah. Woefully misused while in her prime screen years at Paramount during the 30s and 40s, Patricia Morrison, and it's Morrison with one R. Her mother used to say... They only have one R in their name because the Russian father was so cheap he couldn't afford a second one. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) This is is a story I've read. Lovely and exotic with Rapunzel-like long, dark hair. Here's Mm. another trivia note for you. She had the longest hair in Hollywood. It was 39 inches. 39 inch long hair. That's over three feet. What, Is, I'm telling our listeners. Was, was she
0: Pentecostal or what was the I reason for that? long I don't know. She hair. just
1: had long hair. Wow. Nevertheless, she became a star in her own right as a supremely talented diva on the singing stage. Born on March 19th in 1915 in New York City, her father, William Morrison, with one R, was a playwright and occasional actor. Patricia's mother worked for British intelligence during World War I. Wow. Patricia studied at the Arts Students League while also studying dance with the renowned Martha Graham. At age 19, Patricia made her Broadway debut in the short-lived play Growing Pains and proceeded to understudy the legendary Helen Hayes Mm. in her classic role of Victoria Regina. She never went on, and the fact of the matter is that when Miss Hayes came down ill during the run at any point, they simply closed the theater until she recovered, (laughs) (laughs) and they never put Patricia Morrison on. After opening the musical, the two bouquets opposite musical star Alfred Drake, that's significant, Paramount talent scouts looking for exotic dark-haired glamour types then to capitalize on their star commodities, Dorothy L'Amour and Hetty Lamar, scoped Patricia out and tested her. The blue-eyed beauty who indeed resembled L'Amour was signed and made her film debut the following year in the B-film Persons in Hiding. This is in 1939 and Paramount created this tagline Lamore plus Lamar equals Lamorison <laughs> Doesn't that sound That's perfect for the fantastic. late 30s Lamore plus Lamar equals Lamorison <laughs> Patricia's stock, however, did not improve. She was relegated to second string westerns when things didn't improve after that, with such stilted fare as Night in New Orleans in 1942 and a movie called Our Husband's Necessary.
0: <laughs> I think
1: that's the Mary Martin story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that's comedy, folks.
1: <laughs> she left Paramount. She freelanced in. Quote, other woman roles, which included the Tracy Hepburn vehicle without love. And she played Empress Eugenie in the song of Bernadette. Wow. You remember that movie? Yes.
0: Jennifer Jones won an Oscar. It's the the first Oscar winning performance that's entirely whispered. Because she always talks like this. I saw a blessed virgin and she had gold flowers on her on her toes and there was a light around <laughs> Broke, her. And, a, and it's a three-hour movie and you think, for the love of God, <laughs> could you talk out loud for once? <laughs> Did your acting teacher not tell you about dynamics? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she was the empress.
1: Eugenie. Mm. Perhaps Miss Morrison's most noteworthy screen role was one that audiences never saw. In the classic 1947 film noir, kiss of death. Oh, my God. She played the wife of a gangster played by Victor Mature. Her character is raped and commits suicide by asphyxiating herself in a kitchen oven, but her scenes were deemed inappropriate by the censors, and her entire part was removed. Oh. Did she cry
0: herself to sleep for the rest of her life?
1: I don't think Can so. Can you
0: imagine having that opportunity? Th- and
1: From what I could tell, I think she was kind of a tough cookie hmm. and managed to eke out at least sort of a living, but never quite reached the star power that they had hoped that she would. And whose fault is that? I don't know. Maybe they just didn't it's give her the proper gods. Fault. It's the gods. During the Warriors, Patricia performed in USO tours with Al Jolson and Merle Oberon. Cole Porter heard her sing in Hollywood one evening and decided she had the right tenacity, feistiness... Mm-hmm. As I said, and vocal expertise to play the female lead in his new show. In 1948, over the objections of both the producers and the director, stardom was achieved in Porter's classic musical within a musical, Kiss Me Kate, as the vixenish Lily Vanessi. A severe-looking stage diva whose own volatile personality coincided with that of her onstage role, Kate, in The Taming of the Shrew. Patricia found the role of her career, giving over 1,000 performances in all. You ever meet Patricia Morrison?
0: I did not meet her, but I've talked many times about CineCon, the film festival that I go to in L.A. every Labor Day weekend. She was the guest last year. She was one of the guests at 102 and still able to talk about her career. And I think she, I think she also sang here and there you know, almost to the end of her life.
1: Well, she basked in the multitude of glowing reviews playing alongside her former Broadway co-star, Alfred Drake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And such songs as I Hate Men, uh, Wunderbar, and So in Love became signature songs following this triumph. Film work never became a priority again. Lightning struck twice when Morrison took over the lead of Anna Lenowins in the Rodgers and Hammerstein production of The King and I, co-starring with Ewell Brenner in his star-making role as The King. Morrison appeared in The King and I until its Broadway closing in March of 1954, And then continued with the production on the national tour through 1959. So she did a lot of Anna's, a lot of them. On TV, Patricia recreated her Kate role with Mr. Drake. Did you ever see the television version of Kiss Me, Kate? I've never seen it. No, I've never seen it. Is
0: it around to be seen?
1: I imagine we should YouTube it later. But she made a few scattered but lively appearances over the years also on television. One of her more recent guest parts was on the comedy Cheers. She did an episode of Cheers. In later years, the never-married actress devoted herself... Never married. (laughs) What can that mean? Devoted herself to painting and Mary Martin. (laughs) (laughs) A longtime Los Angeles resident, she lived in Miracle Mile's Park La Brea apartments for more than 50 years. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. She remained active well into old age, as you Mm -hmm. say, and said that a late career disappointment was not getting the role of Rose as an old woman in the 1997 film Titanic, especially since her father, a Cunard worker in his youth, had nearly boarded the Titanic in 1912, but transferred to a different ship at the last minute.
0: What was the director thinking? What, that would have been such a great James PR Cameron. angle if they could have gotten people to actually go to that movie.
1: Gloria Stewart eventually did get that part yeah. and was nominated for an Oscar. Miss Morrison says... I used to think every night before I went on stage, a lot of people think of the audience as one mass, but it's not. It's all individual people, and that's why I love the theater. I always feel that if in some way you can touch somebody, either touch them emotionally or if it's a young actor who wants to be an actor, touch them so he or she too wants to be an actor, it's so worthwhile. I've enjoyed everything I've done in life. Wow. Patricia Morrison was See, if 103. You're,
0: if you're not bitter, you can live forever.
1: As you said earlier, Roscoe, I'm going to mention this again. If you'd like to support Booth One in bringing you the best in lively conversation, you can donate at booth-one.com. Click on the Donate button. Every $100 or more donation gets a free signed book by Rick Kogan, his true crime book, Everybody Pays.
0: What is the true crime
1: It's the story of a Chicago mobster hitman who commits a murder, and it's witnessed by a kind of everyday Joe, a guy who lived across the street. And he goes to the police and says, yeah, I saw what happened, and yes, I'm prepared to testify about it, which was at that point, and this is in the early 70s, I guess, it was very rare for someone to actually stand up to a crime like that, especially knowing that the Chicago mob was involved. Yeah. And it's the story actually about these two men the hitman and the guy who testifies against him, and how the trial became a kind of a joke and the judge was bribed. And so years later, they were able to retry the case. And it's the only time that the principle of double jeopardy was avoided. This hitman was tried for the very same crime a second time. Wow! Because the original trial had been tainted so badly.
0: You know what? I'm going to give the show $100 because I want an (laughs) autographed copy of that book.
1: I think you should get one. Before we leave, Roscoe, we talked a little earlier about you having been off the show for quite some time, Mm -hmm. a number of episodes, a year and a half or so. Mm Is there anything you'd like to let the listeners know about your condition and what kind of journey you've been through? We mentioned early on, some time ago that you had had neck surgery mm-hmm. to repair something in the back of your neck. But since mm-hmm. then, you've had some abdominal problems, and... <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's gut-wrenching, isn't it? And they've taken pieces <laughs> out of you, <laughs> and they've
1: put them in jars. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> you are the picture of health.
0: Yes. I've, I've already begun donating my body to medical science. It's been a wonderful journey. i well, I'll just say this. I started to have trouble walking. And I was like, why does the right side of my body feel different than the left side of my body in terms of touch and sensation? I kept calling my physician and saying, something is just wrong. Something is wrong. I can't walk right. You know, originally, it's go to, go to therapy. Everything is go to physical therapy. Everything's conservative treatment first. I went to physical therapy, and I, it was, she was a shrill hered and <laughs> very nice. Uh, <laughs> and I said, I think you're hurting me. I think I have something wrong with me, and by twisting and bending my neck and my hip, I'm not building up muscles. You're like breaking bones or something, lady. Something is happening here. She was having none of it, so I abruptly quit. So I wasn't walking right, so I kept calling my physician, and he wasn't getting back to me. He wasn't following up, and he wasn't responding to my texts. And this is what I think happened. I was out with the two of you one night, and we'd gone somewhere nice, and I think I needed another calm-down cocktail before I went home. So I went to my friendly neighborhood bar, and I was having a cocktail. And this guy walks up to me and says, I haven't seen you in a long time. And I go, no, you haven't. And I had no idea who this man was. He was a handsome man. And he goes, so, how have you been? And I went, hey, I'm pretty good. And all the time I'm talking to him, I'm thinking, why is this man talking to me? And he said... Now, about your hip, I think we need to do an x-ray. And I went, oh, my God, it's my doctor. (laughs) I'm talking to my doctor, and I have had 87
1: martinis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying not to look like a complete... Can you imagine? I was completely horrified. What we learned was that, yes, I had a lower back Bad lower back stuff that was affecting my ability to walk and move and causing tremendous pain. And I said to him, Hey, you know, just if you're gonna stick me in that machine, why don't you do my neck? Because my neck's hurt for 20 years. So maybe we should see what's going on there as long as I'm in that tube. And um, I was sent to a pain doctor, and the pain doctor called a neurosurgeon, and I walked into my office the next day. And my phone was ringing at 8.30, and it was a nurse looking for me. And she was talking about a doctor, and I said, I don't know that doctor. And she goes, but you got referred to us. He needs to, you need to come in and do your evaluation for your surgery. And I said, what surgery? And she goes, on your neck. And I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, you know what, just come in, and we'll talk about options. So I had discs in my neck that had badly deteriorated, and they needed to come out, and they needed to replace them with Human bone from a cadaver, which is why they later wanted to cut my bones out, and metal plates. And unbelievably, this is what I tell people, a few days before the surgery, Debbie Reynolds died. And she donated her body to science, and I got her neck, (laughs) which has been implanted into mine. (laughs) So my neck is fine. It can go back and forth and up and down, and it's great. Walking is still an issue. And then I was getting better and I was getting ready to move and I was packing a box of books. I would taken some pain medicine and it wasn't working. And I thought, if this pain medicine isn't working, I'm in trouble because I'm in pain. And I was packing a box and I bent down to pick up a book and I got a sharp pain in my gut. And I thought, Oh my God, something's wrong. It was cold. It was the end of January. I'm going to put a blanket around me, and I thought, what do I feel like watching tonight? And I thought, I think I'll watch The Last Picture Show. And I watched The Last Picture Show, and I go to bed, and I get up in horrible pain and go to the emergency room, and I never saw that apartment again. I'd lived there for more than 20 years.
1: That day, you were supposed to appear as a guest on the podcast. Do you recall that? And you called me from the emergency room and said... I can't make it. I've gotten some terrible abdominal pains, and I'm in the emergency room.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, as for the second issue that I encountered in in January, I needed surgery in February. Let's just say, if I was Rudolph Valentino, the problem I had would have killed me, as it did him. So I'm in the hospital. Google, this, it, Google, Google it. it. Google it. Google it. Google it, boys and girls. I'm in this hospital with this horrible, in, but it's an infection. You can say it's an infection, yeah. right? Infection that need to be treated. And I would talk to doctors and the medical students, and then I'd look at them woefully, and i go, you know, this is how Rudolph Valentino died. And they'd look at me blankly, and I would go, do you not know who Rudolph Valentino is? <laughs> They didn't know. No, of course not. They didn't know because, you know, I learned about Rudolph Valentino from the Beverly Hillbillies because he was Granny's favorite actor. <laughs> and and the conceit of the Beverly Hillbillies was they still had the movie theater in town had never converted to sound films, and they just showed silent films over and over, so it would be Granny talking, I love that and agree. and <laughs> uh, <laughs> she goes, look at you, sitting there staring at me like you're Theta Barra or something. So, you know, I learned all about silent movies from the Bowley Hill Sure. And-
1: well, thank you, Roscoe, for being my guest today. You'll always have a home and a warm seat at booth one.
0: Well, Thank you, Gary. I'm I'm glad to be back, if only for a, a moment. An episode.
1: Visit booth-1.com for prior episodes and more information about our program. For Booth One, this is Gary Zabinski along with
0: Roscoe.
1: Saying so long and keep listening.